Holiness is violent. Holiness cannot tolerate competing interests. God will share none of his supreme majesty and glory. Rather, he's a consuming fire. A consuming fire who cuts out, slaughters, demolishes, burns, strikes down, and wipes out the competition. Holiness purifies. As St. Augustine said, because God is the highest, the most good, the most mighty, the most omnipotent, the most merciful yet most just, the most hidden yet most present, the most beautiful yet strongest. God is not like us. We are creation, creature. He is creator who is blessed over all. The actual Hebrew word for holiness comes from the verb to cut off. Holiness cuts off all all other opportunities for worship, but worship of the one true God only. It, It cuts off everything for the worship of God alone. It not only cuts off idols and false worship, it cuts off man's ideas on how to approach God. It cuts off man's opinion on worship. It cuts off everything for God's word to stand alone. Therefore, idolatry is to conceive of or have anything else besides or instead of the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. So holiness leads the Christian, sola scriptura, holiness leads the Christian to obey God's word and God's word alone. And holiness ends in worship. It ends in acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Holy. And God's jealousy and God's wrath are consequences of holiness. Justice and wrath are consequences. They're consequential. Jealousy is a holy desire for all that is good and true and beautiful. It's a holy desire for his glory alone. And and God's wrath is a holy desire for justice against any and all who would try to be like God. Or to receive any of God's glory. For any of his worship, justice will strike down. It must. He is holy. And God's jealousy and wrath are forms of punishment. They're negative. God's jealousy and wrath are forms of punishment against sin. But they are also consequences of love. You see, God is jealous for your well-being. He has a holy desire to keep you well to keep you beautiful and good and true and righteous and holy. And his wrath wholly defends you, strikes justice against anyone who would upset your well-being. Who here would allow their children to be harassed? 
who could just sit by and let their children be molested. No, you will fight with a wrath and a vengeance. Try to come after my family and I will turn into a very wrathful, vengeful, jealous man to protect my family and my loved ones. How much more God? Much more. So much more. Because he is holy. 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 God loves you and your little ones with a burning jealousy of wrath. He loves you and your family with a burning jealousy of wrath that will not let even a hair fall from your head without the will of our Father in heaven. His love will care for you, protect you, defend you. Because he is holy. To know our God and his love for you, we must, we must understand both sides of his holiness. There are two sides to the holiness of God. Both sides of his holiness. Punishment and protection. Holiness is God's punishment. And holiness is protection. And this punishment and protection shows us how much he loves us. And this morning we begin with God's holiness to punish sin, which is what we expect. We expect holiness to punish sin. It's what we expect from a, a true, just, righteous, holy God. So we read in our text, chapter 10, verse 1, Ahab, now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. Ahab had 70 sons. And behind the narrator's disclosure of Ahab's 70 sons lies justice. Lies 1 Kings 21.21. Here now, behold 1 Kings 21.21. The Lord says, Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male bond and free in Israel. Yahweh promises to utterly burn up and cut off an entire family in Israel. Why? Why will he burn up and cut off an entire family in Israel? For the same reason he created hell. Because he is holy, holy, holy. And the God of the Bible is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. The hatred in context, the third commandment, is one of the worship commandments. Those who hate Yahweh, according to the third commandment, are those who do false worship. False worshipers hate Yahweh. Yahweh hates false worshipers. So he will punish with extreme punishment. God hates false worship, will consume it, will consume its idolatries. He cannot help but consume that which is false because he is holy. Wrong worship is really a heart matter. It's, it's a failure to love the Lord God with all of your heart. It's a divided heart. False worship is a divided heart that always ends up loving the creature more than the creator who is blessed overall. So it looks to creation for its worship. 
False worship looks to creation for its worship. And it always asks this one question. This is the question of all false worship from the beginning to the end of time. What experience does the world enjoy? What experience does the world want? What experience does the fallen world want? What experience does creature want of the creator? Let's give that to the people. Let's give people what they want, the experience they want. In the ancient world, that experience was wood and stone. People wanted wood and stone, statues, idols, physical symbols of the creature. Today, they want health and wealth and the best life now. False worship wants creation the most, seeks to appease the masses with an experience for the seeker because they want to be mega, mega church because there's a lot of power, prestige, and money to be had by the masses. And there's always abuse that follows. Yet God is jealous. God is jealous to protect his name, jealous to protect his people, his sheep. So he will punish, punish false worship because false worship harms his name and his people. He's jealous to protect his name. So he will punish. Holiness is punishment. There's a warning here to focus your heart on God's holiness when it comes to worship. Let God's holiness be your focus. Let his glory be the center of your attention and then your gaze will fall upon the word of God alone. And your gaze will not leave the word of God and you will ask the word of God, sola scriptura, how shall we worship the Lord? The word of God will direct you. The word of God will lead you. So the scripture says, for, it says, as for me and my house, as for the beard home, we will love the Lord only. We will serve the Lord only and we will serve the word and we will be led by the word and this church will be creatures of the word, inhabitants of the word, living and breathing and eating and loving and serving with the word. We will stand on the word. For failure to love the Lord your God with all of your heart ends in wrong worship. Wrong worship begins by turning away from this word. And the end of wrong worship is God's jealousy. God demands justice for false worship. That's the 70 sons. I've got a lot from these 70 sons. So let's move on. Ahab had 70 sons. And God's holiness must punish idolatry. So Jehu wrote letters and sent them to Samaria, to the rulers of the city, to the elders, to the guardians of the sons of Ahab, saying, Now then, as soon as this letter comes to you, seeing your master's sons are with you, and there are with you chariots, horses, fortified cities, and weapons, and all these things, pick one of the sons. You got all that. You have the heir of Ahab. You have that ungodly line. You have the seed of the serpent. Pick one. Throw him on the throne. And let's get to fighting. Because I've come here to slaughter Ahab's house. Put up or shut up. Verse 3. 
He says, select the best, verse 4. But they were exceedingly afraid. You see, Jahab would fight or he'd accept surrender. And they were afraid. They said, no one could stand. These other kings haven't been able to stand before Jehu. How then can we stand? So he who was over the palace and he who was over the city, together with the elders and the guardians, sent to Jehu saying, we are your servants. We're not of the house of Ahab. We're now the house of Jehu. Tell us what you will do. Tell us what we will do. We will do it. And so they talked a good talk. We'll follow you. And Jehu said, oh yeah. You follow me in word? What about deed? Verse 6. So he wrote them a letter, a second letter saying, if you are on my side, if you're ready to obey me, take the heads of your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel tomorrow. Jehu wanted their obedience, and he got it. They took the sons. Verse 7, as soon as the letter came to them, they took the king's sons and slaughtered them. Seventy persons put their heads in baskets and sent them to him in Jezreel. When the messenger came with the heads in a basket, Jehu said, put them in two piles at the gates of the city. Two piles of heads. The two heaps of severed heads was an ancient Near Eastern practice that ensured the population's submission. Because everyone had to go out through this gate. As you'd walk, go through the gate, you'd see these two piles of heads. And those two piles of heads were a warning to the house of Ahab. They were a warning to his sympathizers. Yahweh is jealous. He's a jealous God. These two piles of heads is a warning for all who seek religion according to the opinions and commandments of men. God demands justice for false worship. He will protect his name. He will protect his people. He will punish evil. Verse 9, then in the morning, Jehu went up out of, and stood and said to all the people, you are innocent. It was I who conspired against my master's house and killed him. And then he asked this interesting question, but who, who struck down all these? Who did this? He knows who did it. He, he commanded it. The question is for the townspeople. Who did this? And the answer is, Yahweh did this. He wants the townspeople to see that this is by Yahweh's command. He, the townspeople are innocent because Yahweh made Jehu the destroyer of Ahab. These two pals of heads are the result of Yahweh's jealousy, Yahweh's wrath. Yahweh the Lord promised the destruction of Ahab's ungodly line. Yahweh was overthrowing the house of Yahweh. God's jealousy was at work. These two piles of severed heads is a picture of God's work, his jealousy at work in Israel. Verse 11, so Jehu struck down all who remained in the house of Ahab and Jezreel, all of his great men, his close friends, even his priests. He left none remaining. He was purifying the land of Jezreel. And he purified the land of Jezreel. And now he makes his way up to Samaria. And on his way up to Samaria, we get this little interesting dialogue with some of Jehu's descendants, or Judah. On his way to Samaria, he meets Judah. It says verse 12, then he set out, set out and went to Samaria on the way. 
when he was at Beth Eked of the shepherds, Jehu met the relatives of Uzziah, king of Judah. Now, if you remember, Uzziah had married one of Jezebel's daughters, which means he married into the line of Ahab. Therefore, he yoked himself to the promise of destruction. Jehu met the relatives. He said, who are you? Who are you guys? What are you up here doing? And they answered, we are relatives of Isaiah. Ooh, wrong answer. And we came down to visit the royal princes and the queen mother, Jezebel. Ooh, bad answer. Wrong place, wrong time. Wrong way to obey God's word. Falling into the hands of the serpent, falling into the lines of the offspring of the serpent. Going to worship, no doubt, with the queen mother and the princes. Wrong place, wrong time. He said, take them alive, took them alive and slaughtered them at the pit of Beth Eked. Forty-two persons and spared none of them. They too met Yahweh's vengeance, for the Lord would purify his people. He would purify the entire venomous line of Ahab. God demands justice for false worship. He will protect his name. He will protect his people. Verse 15. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. We don't know much about this Jonahab, son of Rechab, uh, the tradition states, the tradition, that he's a founder of a purist religious group that sought to worship rightly according to Torah. So the tradition states that this was a man who wanted Torah worship. He's like a proto-John Calvin, <laughs> cleaning the land of, of pointy hats and false worship. Which is why his heart, that's why you know it says, is your heart... Jehu asked, is your heart, Jehonadab, is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? Jehu's heart is true to him because of this tradition so far, you know, this tradition that says he was a sola scriptura man. And so is Jehu. So their hearts were aligned and, and his heart was aligned to Jehu's zeal. Jehonadab answered, it is. Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand. Jehu took him up with him in the chariot. He said, come with me. And see my zeal for the Lord. Come with me and see the zeal I have for the Lord. See my zeal for the Lord. When he went to Samaria, he struck down all who remained in Ahab and Samaria, and he wiped them out according to the word of the Lord. He spoke to Elijah. The phrase zeal for the Lord is a very interesting phrase. It's actually only used a few times in Scripture. This characterization, zeal for the Lord, has very few, uh, there are very few characters who have this zeal for the Lord. There's actually only three. There's Phineas, the son of Eleazar, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest. He had zeal, the Torah tells us, when he killed an Israelite. He had zeal for the Lord by killing an Israelite. Why did he kill the Israelite? Because the Israelite was worshiping falsely. So Phineas struck him down. He had a foreign god. Phineas had zeal for the Lord, struck him down. 
In his zeal turned back Yahweh's wrath. Numbers 25, 11 says, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, for he had a zeal of the Lord, a jealousy, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. The other character who's characterized with the zeal of the Lord is Elijah. Elijah had the zeal of the Lord. And why did Elijah have the zeal of the Lord? Because he sought to destroy the Baal worshipers. His zeal was for acceptable worship. That's what the zeal of the Lord is. And now Jehu has the same zeal for the Lord. The zeal for the Lord in Scripture is zeal for acceptable worship. Desire to worship God acceptably. It is the zeal of faith. And trust in the Lord to carry out the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. That was Jehu's zeal. He wanted to do according to the word of the Lord. Phineas, Elijah, and Jehu had the zeal of the Lord to see to it that God's word alone is obeyed. He wanted God's word obeyed in Israel alone. Because zeal for Yahweh is sola fide, faith. True faith is, uh, believes, true faith believes everything God reveals in his word is true. Everything for the Christian life, for our salvation, and for worship is revealed in God's word alone. And true faith believes in this word alone. So true faith desires for God's word to reign and rule in worship and in the Christian life. And this zeal leaves no place for idolatry in the church. Verse 18, then Jehu assembled all the people and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu will serve him much. I remember when I was reading this for the first time, I think I was in college, and I remember reading that, and I thought, oh, man, I like this guy. <laughs> it's kind of beginning to like Jehu, Ahab's destroyer. Maybe that says more about me than anything else, but he had the zeal for the Lord. He loved the Lord. I'm really starting to fall in love with this Jehu character. I really like this guy, and oh, man, now he's just going to do what all the other kings in Israel have done going to fall to foreign idols but not so fast verse 19 now therefore call to me all the worship of Baal and all his priests let none be missing for I have made a sacrifice to offer to Baal whoever is missing shall not live and I'm reading this thinking oh man but then you read but Jehu did it with cunning you're like alright this guy I really like this guy he did it with cunning in order to destroy the worshippers of Baal he pretends enthusiasm while preparing for bloodshed. He ordered, verse 20, sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. And Jehu went throughout all of Israel, sent throughout all of Israel, and all the worshipers of Baal came. Not a man left who did not come. And they entered the house of Baal, and the house of Baal was filled with one end from one end to the other. Packed house. All the Baal worshipers in Israel, all of them, none left. And then he brought out the vestments. Verse 22, he ordered them to bring out the wardrobe. Bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. He wanted them all clothed so that he could identify all the Baal worshipers. I think there's a manuscript issue here. I think it also mentions that they all had pointy hats. But I couldn't find that manuscript, but I just know it has to be there somewhere. But they were all identified. And then he asked, make sure there's no Yahweh worshipers. 
Clear the room. No Yahweh worshipers? Just all Baal, filled, packed. And then he started the service, verse 24. Then they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. And then Jehu stationed 80 men outside and said, The man who allows any of these whom I give into your hands to escape shall forfeit his life. For this was a service, and it truly was a religious service. It was a worship service of Yahweh's wrath. And as soon as he made, as soon as he made that sacrifice, as soon as the end of the offering, verse 25, in the burnt offering, Jehu said to the guard and to the officers, go in, strike down, let not a man escape. So they went, they put them to the sword. And then they took out and they destroyed the Baal pillar. They burned the Baal place of worship. They demolished the pillar of Baal. They demolished Baal's house and made it a latrine to this day. You see, Yahweh's a consuming fire. As he took Jezebel's body and had her thrown and slain and treated her body like dung, now he treats false worship as a latrine. Because God demands justice for false worship. He must punish to protect his name and to protect his people. Verse 28 says, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. Celebration. But there's a but, verse 29. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. Sadly, it does turn out that Jehu is like all the other kings in Israel, an idolater. Yet, verse 30, and the Lord said to Jehu, because you've done well, this is a very interesting verse, it's kind of surprising, because you have done well in carrying out what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab according that was all in your heart, your sons of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. This is a surprising verse, given the fact that we've just seen justice and God's wrath and God's jealousy against idolatry. We find out that Jehu himself is an idolater. We expect God's jealousy. We expect God's wrath, his justice. But rather than justice, he received a David-like dynastic promise. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel. That's what Yahweh promised David. And now an idolater. Because he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But then the narrator reminds us again. Verse 30. But the Lord said to Jehu... Or, no, excuse me. Where are we at? I lost my place. Yeah, you've done right. Oh, verse 31. But Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. The narrator is quick to remind us again. He tells us he's an idolater. But he says he receives God's well done. And after he receives God's well done, he says, but he's an idolater. He wants you to see the idolatry. But between the idolatry stands grace. He wants you to see the grace. Because that is holiness too. 
God is jealous to forgive because he is fiercely protective of his love for you. Yahweh is fiercely protective of his love for you. Therefore, you cannot outsend his grace. His grace is holy and it abounds. Where sin abounds all the more, grace. Where there is sin that abounds, grace abounds all the more. So no one can bring a charge against God's elect because it is God who justifies. And that declaration, now no more condemnation, Yahweh is fiercely protective of that declaration for you. He is fiercely protective of your salvation. Even protecting you from your own self. Even protecting you from your own sin by pouring more grace and grace upon you. You are an idolater. We're all idolaters. None of us walk worthy, worthily of the command, the law of the Lord. Yet God is protective. So protective, he will never leave or forsake you. That's how fierce his protection is. Never leave you. He will never forsake you. You see, holiness punishes sinners. But for those who belong to God by true faith, we are protected by his holiness, his justice, and his wrath. God's punishment, his wrath and jealousy shows us how, show us how much he loves us. We're saved by God's wrath. God's wrath and love meet perfectly on the cross. As God rid Israel of idolatry to protect his people, so his justice protects us in Christ. We are idolaters with undivided hearts, not careful to walk according to the law of the Lord, but the Lord's holy love for us laid on Christ the iniquities of us all. God cut Christ out of the land of the living. He poured his wrath out on Christ, who was wounded for our transgressions. He was slain by God's wrath so that we might be delivered from God's justice. Christ's blood protects you from the wrath of God. We are saved from wrath by wrath. That's Christianity. We're saved from wrath by wrath. We are saved from holiness by the holiness of God. And Christ's righteousness, his perfection in the law is our holiness. And by Christ's perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness, we are forever loved and protected by God's zeal. And God's jealousy is not directed toward your... God's jealousy is now directed toward you. It's directed toward your comfort, body and soul, and life and in death. And so his holiness, his jealousy, and his wrath are now directed toward your enemies. And your enemies are the devil's sin and death. And God will fiercely attack and defend. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences, however. We read the final few verses in this text. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. As Jehu was cutting off Ahab's line, now Yahweh begins to cut off Israel. 
Hazael defeated them throughout the territory, and it lists all the territories they lost. Yahweh disciplined Israel through the loss of land for their continued idolatry. Just as Jehu cut off Ahab, Hazael cuts off parts of Israel, Yahweh disciplines his own. But not completely. And it's not as wrath you feel when God disciplines you. The suffering you feel when God disciplines is not his wrath, it's his love. It's his protection, his holiness to protect you, to protect you from your own sin, to protect you from you. God's discipline is your protection. And suffering is God's gift so that you might not suffer the fullness of your sin. And then when God suffers you, he then enters through the wound of your suffering. Yahweh enters through the wound to heal, to bless, to protect. For God is the highest, the most good, the most mighty, the most omnipotent, the most merciful, yet most just, the most hidden, yet most present, the most beautiful, yet strongest. And he is your God. He is your Savior. And holiness is love. It is a violent love. And grace is violent. It overcomes all your sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.